Good evening, all. Welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study. Would you join us? Lift your voices up as we worship.
so much stronger Give the glory Lifting up our hearts Who shakes the whole With holy thunder And leaves us breathless And no one wonders This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. She will take my place. She will bear my cross. You will lay down your life that I would be set free. Oh.
taking my furniture around. <laughs> well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. Turn with me to the middle of your Bible to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the very privilege to be able to call ourselves children of the Most High God. We realize that we've been adopted and we've been bought with a great price. And it just thrills our soul that you love us enough Pay such a price to redeem us into yourself. Lord, there are a lot of concerns, hurts and heartaches, pains and sickness, enough trouble to go around. But we realize that we do not have one care on our hearts and our minds nothing going on in our bodies or our spirit that you're not aware of and we are grateful that you have a purpose and a plan in everything that you do everything that you allow we ask you that you would be pleased to cultivate a sensitivity in our heart as we recap, rehearse old truth. May we see it anew and afresh. Be reminded of your goodness and your grace that you receive the glory that you are so worthy of. Thank you for every person that's in attendance here tonight and those that are joining with us online. And God, I pray that they would be blessed and benefited for having given you their attention this evening. May you take your word, make it real to us. We know it's alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. If your will and your way in our time together, and we will be careful give you the glory for all that you do. Father, we, we certainly want to ask the great physician tonight to lay his healing hand on all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially who are struggling physically, those within our family, our friends. God, we know that you are more concerned about people's spirit and eternity than you are our physical bodies. But we also know that sometimes you have and use physical healings to draw people's attention to your word. 
And then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Forgive us of our unbelief and increase our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good. Somebody say, God's good. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth to all generations. A very familiar psalm. Most Bible-believing Christians at least have memorized that first phrase in our text, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. But while we've memorized it, I wonder how well we live it. I'm not looking to teach you anything new tonight, but sometimes we just need reminded, called to remembrance. This psalm is a song that would have been sung as the people of God approached the tabernacle in the times of David, the temple in the time of Solomon, and then again in the temple in the days of Jesus. Could I just jump ahead of myself and say you need to prepare for worship we shouldn't come to church and worship by happenstance or circumstance. It ought to be a planned event in our lives. And if you were to plan a worship service, Tommy, Tommy does that every week. He plans out our worship service. Now, if the Holy Ghost gets a hold of it and takes it another direction, we'll bend and bow with him. Amen? Yeah. But, but we ought to be prepared when we come to worship. And, and I don't mean prepared by our own methodologies or programs and processes. What, what would worship look like if it was directed by God? If God were our worship leader, and he should be, on Sunday morning or even on a Wednesday night, what would worship sound like? What would it look like? Well, isn't that an interesting concept, what worship would be from God's perspective? Well, if you'd like to know, I'm glad because that's what we're fixing to see in our text. While once again the psalm is penned by the psalmist David, a man after God's own heart who penned a great portion of the psalms that we listen to, he's been called the sweet psalmist of Israel. 
and how well he did write the Hebrew hymn book or the portions that he wrote. But we need to understand that while he wrote it, God inspired it. God breathed it. I hope we understand the difference when we talk about the inspired word of God. And um, while some seem to be of the mindset that God inspired the Baptist hymnal, that red book that I'm familiar with and has been such a huge part of my background and I still love dearly today, let me say this, it's not divinely inspired. Some would choose to believe that God divinely inspires um, only praise and worship music. Let, let me clue you in on something. There's only one book that God ever authored, and it's not the Baptist hymnal. When we use the word inspired, we're not talking about an unction. Uh, we're not talking about a feeling. We're, we're talking about the Bible says that scripture is literally God breathe. The word inspired is, 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 is God breathe. It comes from the breath, the, the, the very mouth of God. So when we read this psalm, we're, we're seeing a call to worship first from God's perspective. So, so don't hear the sweet psalmist David. My heart is this evening that you would hear from heaven that you would hear God as he calls us to worship. And we see that call to worship in verse number 1, and, and then in verse number 4 as well. I, I, I want to say that in verse number 1, we, we see that God's call to worship is first personal. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Listen to this. All ye lands. Now, now certainly while I believe that the intent behind God's reference to the word lands was more than just the geographical surrounding around Israel. I don't believe the Bible is the book of the month. I believe it's the book of the ages. It stands through the ages of time. And so when he says, all ye lands, I think it's actually um, in, in reference and pointing toward the millennial kingdom when Christ will reign here on earth for a thousand years and all worship will be directed to him, and by the way, that's the way all worship should be in church. It should be directed to Jesus. Amen? Amen. All ye lands. Think about the multitudes of people that are being called to worship when he uses that phrase, all ye lands, all nations around the globe. But included in that is you. You're in that ye part. And so God's not calling a select group of people. He's calling the entire world to come and to worship him. Aren't you glad that God included you? But 
I wonder sometimes if, if when we gather to worship, we realize that worship isn't entertainment. I mean, Tommy doesn't envision, they don't prepare during the week to entertain us on the weekend. That, that's not what worship is about. We, we call Tommy our, our minister of worship or our worship leader. He, he's not here to worship for us. He's here to lead us in to worship. So worship is, is first personal, but, but secondly, I want to suggest in I might get some nasty emails from those that aren't with us tonight, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It's a call to public worship. Amen. He, he says in verse number four, enter into his gates. Come into his courts. So, so God has called us not only to worship. Now, now listen to me. Boy, I'm glad. I'm glad I ain't got to be in a group to worship. You see, I'm convinced that if you don't worship personally and privately, you're not doing much justice in worshiping publicly. It's, it's in our, our private worship that our hearts connect with God, and those times are intimate and personal, and sometimes they need to be private. But there's never been a time in human history where God hasn't had a plan for his people to come together and worship publicly. So the, the call is, is personal. It's for each and every one of us, but to gather corporately in public worship. So when we sing, it's all of us singing. And in case you're feeling lonely and left out and maybe I'm somehow missing the mark, placing the, response, the privilege of worship on everybody's shoulders, notice how God closes the Hebrew hymn book. The, the, the only song book God ever wrote is the Psalms, and his last words in the book of Psalms, Psalm 150 and verse number 6, says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise you, the Lord. Are you breathing? Come on. Do you realize that when you opened your eyes this morning and you cognitively took that first breath, that wasn't by happenstance or coincidence that you're breathing because God has placed breath in your lungs. I'm thoroughly convinced I can't even breathe without him. And the psalmist says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. That, that would include the animal kingdom as well, I believe. I mean, they're breathing. And, and I think about, you know, when uh, just this morning when I walked out of our house and I, I sat there um, in the front yard this morning and listening to the birds singing and wondering what kind of song they were singing to Jesus. Don't you wish sometimes you could understand bird language? Sometimes I wish I could understand people language. Amen? But, but, but listen to me. I, I don't want a singing bird or a chirping squirrel 
or a rock crying out in a place where I should be praising him. You see, God's done something for you that he ain't done for me. God's done something for each. We'll get to that a little bit more here in just a minute. But, but, but each one of us have a testimony. And, and listen, I, I'm certainly talking about being saved and becoming a Christian and God's work and, and saving us and his accomplishment on the cross. But, but I want you to know that's not the end of my testimony. God didn't stop blessing me when he saved me. Amen? Every day he gives me reason to give him glory and praise and honor. So it's a call to both personally and then publicly come together to worship. Nobody is exempt. Aren't you glad? But, but what? From God's perspective, what, what should our worship look like? What, 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 what are the activities or the actions that are involved in worship? I, I want to say first, the first thing that we see in the text comes right out of that phrase in verse number one, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That word noise in the original language literally carries the idea, communicates the thought of an ear-piercing sound. Think about that for just a moment. It's a loud noise. Now, 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 now listen, when, when, when we sing, it can get loud, especially when you're singing with amplification. But could I suggest to you that your singing ought not sound like a noise? Come on. I mean, there, there ought to be some tone, some tempo, um, in, in our singing, the word noise carries more of the idea of elevating our voices in a shout. J just to give God a good happy hallelujah to, to elevate the voice. And you say, preacher, I, I ain't got a, I, I'm not sure we need to be into, that's what God said, to make an ear-piercing sound. Do you understand it's okay to shout in church? We come to church sometimes like they expect you to act in kindergarten. Anybody remember a teacher saying, okay, use your indoor That's how folks do it church and worship a lot of times. Listen, our, our, we ought to be able to, to shout for Jesus. You'll shout other places. Come on. I, yeah, let Billy get on the football field. I promise you, you'll hear some shouting. Let, let TJ be on the golf Let me get on the golf course. You want to hear some shouting. It won't be positive, but you'll hear some shouting. When, when, when we was raising our, 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 our they still my babies, but, but when we was raising our young'uns, they was always involved in sports and Man, mama could get charismatic on the ball field. I'm going to tell you something. You, you, you let Blair hit a home run, everybody in three counties heard about it. And, 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 and you've got something that you'll shout over. We, we all got something that will shout. It might be a rat in your kitchen, but 
We all got something that will motivate us to shout. Any, any, we got any fishermen in here? We was, we well, Tim on the fishing business, no. <laughs> we was, uh, me and my brother-in-law and, and, and my nephew, um, we're fishing, y'all don't even know where it's at, but Lake Adger, a little old, little old lake up there in our county. And and now, now keep in mind, we don't have no hundred thousand dollar yacht or fifty thousand dollar bass boat. We're literally the three of us on a twelve foot aluminum John boat. Okay. Now, I may weigh a buck fifty soaking wet, and my nephew probably at that time weighed a little bit more than me. But my brother-in-law is two hundred. Plus, 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 if you know what I mean. I mean, he's a big old feller. So, so what I'm trying to say is you throw the three of us in that little boat, and then you throw our fishing equipment in there, our, our tackle boxes. and I mean, I had tackle weighed more than what I had, you know, our fishing rods, the motor on the back. Now, now this boat, it's already sitting low in the water. And I remember, listen, we're on Lake Adger, and my nephew... Now, I don't know, maybe 13, 14 years old at the time, he hooked into a muskie. Now, a muskie, if you don't know what a muskie is, that's, that's one of the biggest game fish in our lakes back home. And, and this one, uh, well, I, I don't know how big it, well, it looked to me like it's from here to that wall back there. You know, just, and he's dragging the boat, literally pulling the boat around the lake. And my nephew... My nephew is running 12 foot at a time back and forth across that boat trying to get that fish in. And the whole time, I'm hollering. My brother-in-law's shouting. And Nicholas is going, Oh, I got him, Daddy. <laughs> now, now, listen to me. <laughs> if we can shout about catching a nasty old fish in an aluminum John boat, we ought to be able to shout to the glorious God of heaven. Yeah. Some of you just worried that somebody might hear you. So, so worship according to God sometimes includes a shout. I got something to shout about. I might not have hit a home run, but Jesus sure hit one for me. Knocked it out of the park. N number two, though, he doesn't say just make a joyful noise. He, he says, serve the Lord. Now, now, remember, this is directions on not work but worship. It's a call to worship. And included in his call to worship, he says to serve the Lord. Do, do something with your hands and with your feet besides lifting them and jumping. Actually, put your hands to the plow doing something for God. To, to serve. Have you, have you really thought of your service to the Lord as an act of worship. Yeah. You, you see, if you see what you do for God 
as worship rather than work, you can do it happily rather than grudge it. Serve the Lord. Now, now we're going to get to some characteristics of worship here in just a minute. But, but, but right now, I, I want to suggest to you that it doesn't matter how long or how loud you shout. If it doesn't change how you live your life when you hit the ground. It, it, it's easy to shout on a Sunday. But, but what about... At Walmart on a Monday. Or at a red light on a Thursday. You, you, you see, listen, our shouting and our service has to be a lifestyle. So serve the Lord. It's, it's an act of worship. And then thirdly, see, he makes a distinction between the noise and the singing. By the way, that's why I sing under my breath. Because my singing is a noise. And, and, and I know that God has not gifted me with the ability to sing. And, and I can prove it to you, but I ain't going to. <laughs> because when I sing, I get laughed at. But, but he, did, he didn't say sing wonderfully. He, he said sing. You see, worship, if it were a sport and it's not, it wouldn't be a spectator sport. It's participatory. It's, it's all of us engaged in singing. You know, worship prepares my heart to serve. And when people around me are worshiping, it inspires me to serve. I believe that worship, at least for me as a preacher-pastor, a teacher-pastor, is inspiration for when I share the message. I don't know how many of you in here have taught or been teachers, but um, you, you, you ever taught in an environment where it was just cold and dry? Man, listen to me. I've walked into some churches before, literally walked into some churches knowing I'm going to be there for an entire week or even two weeks preaching revival. And when you walk in, it's just like the atmosphere is cold. And when God's people, listen to me, come together in corporate worship, when they begin lifting up their song to Jesus together, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of Israel. And by the way, I am spiritual Israel. Amen? Amen. Hey, you better get behind Israel. You better hope our government gets behind Israel and gets off of their backside. When, when, when God's people begin to worship and, and lift up him and praise him. The Bible teaches us that his presence comes down. Now, now listen to me. I know, and I'm a thorough believer that, that Jesus is God, and as God, he cannot lie. Amen? So when he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you, that means he's everywhere all the time. Everywhere I go, there he is. 
He was there before I left the house. He's there when I get there, and he'll be there when I leave because he never leaves our side. But, but there's a distinct difference in the omnipresence of Jesus, him being everywhere all the time and a manifestation of the presence of Jesus where you, you sense him around you. You and, and, and experience him in a real and a tangible... Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I want more than a promise. I want more than a word to hang my hope on. Now, now that's enough for me. I know that, that he, he'll never leave me. He'll, he'll never forsake me. But boy, I want to I sense his presence. And, and, and that occasion happens when God's people praise him and they come together and sing where two or three are gathered in my name. There I will be in the midst of them. What, what I mean is, is Jesus was here before we showed up. But when we come together and we begin to worship, he's really here. Amen? So, serving, shouting, and singing. Did, did you know that you could do all three of those in the energy of your flesh? You can shout in the flesh, you can serve in the flesh, and you can sing in the flesh. I don't know if you've ever served the Lord in the flesh, but it will wear you out. You, you, can, you can shout in the flesh and you're not going to do anything but strain your vocal cords. You can sing in the flesh and you ain't going to do nothing but make a bunch of noise. All of our worship no matter how well aligned it is with truth, if it's not spiritual, it's still not worship. Jesus, in his conversation with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, said the time comes and now is when the Father seeks those to worship him in truth and in spirit. So what are... What are some characteristics of worshiping in the spirit? I, I want to suggest gladness. Gladness should be the manifestation of you and I worshiping in the spirit. He, he says in verse number one, make a joyful, not grumbling, griping, complaining, Make a joyful shout to the Lord. And, and, and then he, he literally says in verse number 2, to serve the Lord with gladness. Hey, can I stop just a moment, pause, and say this? God's people ought to be the happiest people on this planet. We ought to be glad. We ought to be filled with joy. Why? I, I ain't talking about 
happiness that revolves around what's happening around you, your situation or your circumstances, I, I'm, I'm talking about spiritual joy, spiritual gladness. You, you can't work that up in your flesh. The Bible says that the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. You, you ever heard that song? Any of y'all remember that song we used to sing when we was kids? If you're happy and you know it. No, I, I want to get to the last stanza. Then you face your chore to show it. God's people ought to put a smile on. Amen? L -l -l Listen, this is, this is not spiritual worship. Amazing Grace has to be one of the most powerful songs ever scribed by the head, the heart, and the hand of a man. How can we sing Amazing Grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Now, 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 now listen, that might not be the majority of people, but, 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 but I promise you, you look around during worship. I joke and I kid sometimes, but what I ought to do, honestly, is put a mirror up here. Not facing me, facing y'all. I, 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 I can't imagine, li, li, listen, singing a song with so much and so much impact and, and with so much passion and just kind of muddling through it. You, you see, if you're singing Amazing Grace and thinking about your broke down car or, or what's happening in, happening in the political realm, if you're talking about the pirates when we're singing Amazing Grace, you call it what you want to, it ain't worship in the spirit. And God has called us to worship in the spirit. And, and, and listen, we, we, ought to be, we ought to be glad. Now, now here's where we, we have to draw a line in the sand. No, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's write it in stone. That if you're worshiping in spirit and gladness and joy is the manifestation of your worship, then you're not here because somebody guilted you into being here. Amen. Come on. That's true. I, I remember, Ian, before I got saved, I went to church because I was guilted into it when I went. I didn't go often. But when I went, I went grudgingly because I was, I was manipulated, if you will, Guilted into, I went for somebody else rather than for what God had done because I had no concept of what God had done. But boy, I'm going to tell you something. The very day, the very day that I got born again, the day that I got saved, He put a desire in me to worship. He, he put a desire, a passion in me to shout and, and to serve and whether I can or not, to sing. And whether you like it or not, it makes me happy. I can get glad in it. If you can't get glad for yourself, I'll get glad for you. How about that? You can't shout for yourself, I'll shout for you. 
characteristics of what God would describe as worship. They include shouting, singing and serving, but serving with gladness. Kind of reminds me of um, the statement Shane made when he was here last week, or was that last week? Yeah, last week, uh, about cleaning the toilets at the church. Now, I've never had a desire to clean toilets. I just never fell in love with that idea. But, boy, I can, I, can, I can clean God's toilets with a smile on. I can cut grass and weed eat and pull weeds and do whatever needs done and, and, and do it with a smile on. Boy, you know what helps my heart? When, when I show up here in the middle of the week and sometimes it's Joe and Susie's car, so, different, I shouldn't start calling names. I, 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 I just started to say I shouldn't be calling names. <laughs> but, 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 but to see people serving and, and, and they're doing it with joy and with gladness, how much fun can you have pushing a vacuum cleaner? Well, if you're doing it for Jesus, you can have a lot of fun. But, but not only with gladness, but, but, but secondly, according to verse number four, worship that is spiritual will be worship out of gratitude. Enter into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And here it is again, be thankful unto him. Bless his name. Twice in verse 4, in our call to worship, we're told to be thankful, to be grateful. We, we can elaborate from the text on why we should be grateful. But before we go there, what do you have to be grateful for? I mean, before you get into even, even what we would consider the spiritual and, and what's revealed in the text, I dare be willing to say there's nobody sitting here that does not have something to be thankful for. Someone to be grateful for. Something that God did for you, not yesterday, last week, last month, or last year, but even today. Something to be thankful for. You, you can choose to be unthankful, and you can find plenty of reasons for it if you want to. But if you choose to consider just how good God has been to you for just a moment... I promise you it won't take you long to find some reason just to say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, how about this one? Since it is revealed in the text, enter into his presence with thanksgiving. Now, 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 now remember, he's not talking about your Bible study at home or your daily devotion. He's literally dealing with corporate worship. And I don't know about you, but 
I am so grateful that when I come to church, I come with an anticipation, an expectation that God's going to meet me when I get here. Hey, if none of y'all show up, Jesus is here. And have you ever really stopped to consider the price that he paid to enable you to come into his presence? I mean, if you were just to go back and read a, take a cursory glance at the Old Testament and how difficult it was to enter into the presence of God, there was only one man able to do that. And one time of the year on the Day of Atonement was able to go into the holiest of holies, the very courts of the Lord. I don't know if it's true or not, but tradition says that when he went in there, he literally had a rope tied to his ankle because if he went in in an unworthy manner, God would strike him dead and they'd have to drag him out. I don't know about you, but boy, I'm sure glad that's not the God I meet when I show up on Sunday morning. Oh, it's the same God. I shouldn't have said that. It's the same God that I meet. I just meet him through a different avenue. I come by the blood of the Lamb. And by the way of Calvary's cross, I'm able to enter into his presence. If you ever need a reason to give God thanks, just go back about 2,000 years and get a fresh glimpse of Jesus hanging on the cross where you deserve to be, raising again from the dead so that he could give you everlasting life. And I'm here to tell you, I can shout when I think about what Calvary and Christ on the cross has accomplished for me. We ought to give him praise. Listen, we ought to never, ever stop thanking him that he was willing to come and live and die and be buried and raised again that we might have life and have it everlasting. Amen. We ought to be so, so grateful. Enter into his presence with thanksgiving and bless his name. Well, if that ain't reason enough, prior to the cross, the the psalmist sees there's a group of people who's really going to struggle with this thing called worship. Like like we need incentives or motivation to worship. And I believe that if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we do need to be motivated. And so the psalmist speaks to catalysts, if you will, for worship. Reasons that you and I can see in the text to be grateful, to shout, to serve Him, and and to sing some attributes of God characteristics of him that ought to compel us to worship. The the, the first thing that I see in verse number three, a reason to worship is just simply because of his person. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Now, boy, you could preach the rest of your life on that one phrase right there. You could praise Jesus till the rapture of the church on just that one statement 
Well, what I mean is because he's God and you don't need any other reason than that. That's right. you, you see, if he never done anything for you or never did anything for you again, he would be worthy of worship just because of who he is. Yeah. He's God. Just because of who he is, the psalmist says, you ought to shout. You ought to sing and you ought to serve him because he is God. That can never be stated in the past tense or the future tense because what God was, he still is. And what he is, he always will be. Secondly, because of his purpose and more specifically that he included you in it. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. It speaks to the creative purposes of God. That, that we ought to shout and serve and sing because he created us. And we did not create ourselves. Isn't it astounding that God took a lump of clay and breathed into the nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul? He did that for Adam. But the Bible declares that you and I, like the psalmist, are fearfully and wonderfully made. That before we were ever in our mother's womb, according to Jeremiah, he knew us and ordained us to a specific purpose. That God created us. That's really the ultimate purpose, if you will, according to Romans, for God's judgment upon the world because when they knew him, they didn't worship him. No. They didn't recognize him. They didn't acknowledge him as creator and sustainer of the universe. That was the first step of folly that led to them serving themselves and worshiping man-made things that don't have eyes to see or ears to hear or, 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 or hands to change anything. The psalmist says, because you're a part of God's creation, you ought to worship Him. Isn't it interesting, though, that He didn't stop with the fact that God created us, but that we're not the ones that did? Have you ever really contemplated the idea of what you would be if you created yourself. No, not good. <laughs> the psalmist said, I'm grateful. I, I need to give God a shout out that I didn't have to create myself because I'd be a man-made mess. All right, right, right. I, 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 I'd be a messed up joker 
if it was left to me to create what I was to become. Aren't you glad? I don't know about you, but I've made some messes trying to make other things. The psalmist says, boy, I sure am glad I didn't create myself. You see, I used to think that I was a self-made man. And chances are you probably had a problem with that complex at some point, time or another in your life too. But, but, but I've just come to the place in my relationship with God that I understand if it weren't for him, I'd be a worse mess than the mess that he drug me out of. And, and you see, I, I just really believe that I can't take credit for the man that I am today compared to the man that I was. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Have you ever thought about how impossible it would be to give birth to yourself? No, God done that that I could not do for myself. And you see, here's, here's the problem, I think, Tim, amongst most of the church is, I shouldn't say most of the church, but some within the church is they think that going to a prayer, an altar and praying a prayer saved them. They think that because they've made some superficial changes in their life, it's going to make an eternal difference and impact. Listen, I can't tell you how many times I turned over a new leaf. But what I learned, Rory, was once you do that twice, you're right back where you started at. But when the Holy Spirit invaded my tabernacle, my tent, and gave me God's life, a life that I've never known or experienced before. He done for me what I could not do for myself. He's still making me anew over and over and over and over. And aren't you glad that God hasn't left us to recreate ourselves, to change our lives into a way that's acceptable or pleasing unto Him. I don't know about you, but I sure am glad that when God looks down on me, He sees Jesus in the blood of Christ. The good changes that have been made in my life, I'm thoroughly convinced, were made by God. So we ought to praise Him that He's made us and well, we didn't make ourselves. Fourthly, thirdly, I mean that we're his possession. Notice verse number six, we are his people. The Bible says in the New Testament, the apostle Paul penned, do you not know do you not understand that you're not your own? That's right. You don't belong to self anymore. 
And, and for this specific reason, because you've been bought with a price. You're his people because not only did he create you, but after you um, found yourself in the slave markets of sin, he bought you out of it. He purchased you off of Satan's auction block. We are his people. Aren't you glad to be a part of the family of God? His family adopted. And then he says, and the sheep of his pasture. Now this is written by the same psalmist who wrote Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't need to get started on that text. We'll be here all night in verse number one. <laughs> but but um, you, you do understand that he is the good shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. But he's your shepherd. And the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, he cares for his sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I'm not known in a lot of places, but I'm known where it matters. I know my sheep. Knows everything about you to the most minute detail. Mm -hmm. That even the very hairs on your head have a number. Even roots that ain't sprouted yet. <laughs> that God is so intimate with his sheep that he literally knows the number of hair on their head. And, and listen, he, he said, I, I not only know my sheep, but Jesus said, they hear my voice. Another shepherd they will not follow because they don't know the voice of strangers. I, I ain't worried in, about falling into no court because I don't know but one voice. The, the voice of my shepherd who, who, who guides and governs and, and who as a great shepherd not only protects but provides for his sheep. Here, here's where a lot of folks are hanging up right now. All of the stress and the worry about the economy and how bad things are getting and how high gas is and how high lumber is and how high food is. Let me ask you something. Who's your shepherd? Who's your shepherd? You see, I'm not, I'm not depending on government to make sure I'm fed. Jesus is doing that. You cannot... You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus said, if you want an economic lesson, 
Jesus said, just take a trip down to the ocean on any afternoon of the week and you can learn something about God's economy. He said, consider the fowls of the air. Just, just think about the birds that are flying by. They sow not, neither gather they in the barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. He cares for them. Are you not of greater value to the heavenly Father than a fowl flying through the air? And while I'm thinking about it, you know one thing I have never seen on the beach? Many times that I've been down there, I've never seen an anorexic seagull. They butterballs. <laughs> Fat as they can be. We got turkeys running through our yard right now. They ain't nobody feeding them. We ain't putting out corn or nothing. God's feeding them and God's caring for them. And my little girl the other day said, look how big those turkeys are. <laughs> you know why? Because God takes care of those that belong to him. He said, if that's not enough for you, just take a tiptoe through the tulips. Consider the lilies in the field and how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. You ever seen a flower sitting behind a um, spinning wheel? Yet even Solomon in all of his glory is not arrayed like unto one of these. And if God so clothed the grass of the field, will he not take greater care of you? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things shall be added unto you. I gotta hurry. I, I know I'm out of time, but 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 listen to me. Here's where so many are getting it all mangled and mixed up. If you're seeking for the stuff, the stuff will elude you. And if you find it, it won't satisfy you. But if what you're seeking is his kingdom and his righteousness, then the stuff will be added unto you. Now, now what, what does that really mean? Well, you, you can transfer that over again into the millennial kingdom, but there is a present-day application that needs to be made to seek the kingdom. isn't to look so much forward to what is coming, though I am, to seek the kingdom is to seek Christ's rule and reign in our lives right here, right now. Yeah. To, to seek first. Put that first on your list of priorities. Put the kingdom of God at the top of your to-do list. Seek the kingdom of God first. Don't put God on the back burner. Put Him first. And all of these things will be added unto you and His Righteousness. 
Now, thanks be unto Jesus that you'll never be any more righteous positionally than you are in Christ. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm righteous in Christ. So when God looks down, he sees Christ in his righteousness. But he's, he's, he's not talking about positional righteousness. In seeking the kingdom of God, he's talking about practical righteousness, day-to-day living in a right way before God and before men. I've been accused of, of being a legalist when I make statements like this, but my Bible still says, Be ye holy as I am holy. It still says, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Listen to me. That's New Testament, not Old Testament law. When God saves us, he sends his spirit to seal us and to sanctify us. I'm glad I'm sealed unto the day of redemption, but sanctification is a day-to-day process working it out in real life, becoming more like Jesus today than what I was yesterday. And aren't you glad that God didn't leave you to accomplish that on your own? It's not we that have created ourselves. He created us. Not we ourselves. He is recreating us. And then finally, and I'm going to be done. Verse number five, final verse. God's persistence. First, his person. You ought to just give him a shout tonight because of who he is. Second, that his purpose included you. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to him? I mean, God's, God's the genuine know-it-all. I know some of y'all might think you are, but you're not. God really is. He knows everything from the beginning to the end and back again. And, and so God knew everything that you were, you are, and you will be. In fact, the matter is, he included you anyway. That's pretty good stuff, ain't it? Because of the price that he paid to possess you, for his provision that he cares for you. I don't know about y'all, but I ain't had dinner yet. But when I go home, there's going to be food on my table. And, 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 and don't hear me wrong, I'm grateful that my wife has prepared it. That this church supports me so it could be provided. Amen. But, but, but I believe behind the scenes, what you don't see but I get to benefit from is how I get it ain't the point. It's who's giving it. Amen. His provision for his people. You, you, you do realize that what you have you have because it's filtered through his hand. Your job, your career, your education, 
down to the food on your table, the air that you breathe. You have it because God has provided it. And then finally, just because God is persistent. We could say consistent, but I like the P word because it alliterates with my outline. <laughs> Listen, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endureth to all generations. God is, present tense, good. There's never been an occasion where God can say, where men can say God was good, but He's not now. He is good. And that's irrelative of where we're living at or what we're going through. God is good. He's good even when good feels painful. He's good even if good hurts. He's good in success, but He's also equally good in your struggle. In fact, I've come to realize that it seems like he's gooder when I'm struggling than when I'm succeeding. But, but that's impossible because the text says God is good. Once again, what he was, he is, and what he is, he always will be. There'll never be a time throughout human history or eternity where God is not good. Now, while that can be said for God, it can't be said for anybody you know. The Bible says, Jesus himself said, there is none good but God. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't do good things. That doesn't even mean that we don't have good days. It doesn't even mean that we don't have good weeks or months sometimes. What it does mean is none of us are consistently, persistently, 100% all the time, good down to the core. God's good because good is who God is. Fact of the matter is, people are not born good and then gravitate toward becoming bad. Fact of the matter is, people are born rotten to the core and sometimes do good things. That's, I know it might not feel good, but that's the truth of the Bible. His mercy is everlasting. Amen. Boy, I don't know about you, but I swear I'm glad for that because I've been needing God's mercy since I got saved. Yeah. Amen. The word literally translated could, could read his loving kindness, his pitifulness, his, his, his desire to show pity. Well, because God knows what we're made of. Better than we do sometimes. 
And isn't it good to know that as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, as someone that's saved, born again, birthed into the family of God, there's not a point that you've got to worry about in the future where you're going to blow it so bad you're going to exhaust God's mercy. I'm glad that His mercies are new every morning. According to the text, it's, His mercy is as everlasting as eternity is. And his truth endureth to all generations. He's consistent. I mean, God's not going to tell you one thing today and contradict it tomorrow. The Bible says that while the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of the Lord is forever settled in heaven. You can trust him. You can count on him. Anybody you ever thought would never let you down, let you down. Come on. Told you they was going to do something and they just didn't come through. Told you they wouldn't do something and they done it anyway. I mean, it, it, you know, we're, we're living in a time where, where I really think that even within the Christian community, man, we just want somebody we can trust. We want some truth. Give me a Republican. Give me a Democrat. Give me a Libertarian. Give me somebody that will tell the truth. God says, I will. Amen. God says, the truth is what you'll get from me. Every single time. He's consistent at it. And I'm just going to be honest with you tonight. I need mercy. Because sometimes truth don't feel good. No. Truth has caught me contrary to the will of God. But, but isn't it wonderful to know that when that be the case, he's good and his mercy endures forever. You can trust him. And the psalmist says, if, 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 if you trust God like that, it ought to be reflected in your worship. When, when you realize that even the person that loves you the most inevitably will wind up letting you down at some point. They don't plan it. It just happens sometimes. Well, sometimes they plan it. <laughs> but, 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 but when, if you come to a place in your life where you don't have nobody to count on, you can count on God. And, and not only you. But I, I'm getting old enough now, and I, I know I'm not as old as some of you, but I'm getting old enough now, Rory, where I'm starting to think more generationally. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to think about the world that my children are going to live in if Jesus don't come back soon. And, and, and what if they have children, and I have grandchildren? What kind of world are, are we living, leaving for them to live in? Could I say this? You're leaving them with a God who is consistent and persistent. It doesn't matter how bad culture gets. They can count on Jesus. And that ought to be reflected 
in our worship. So, so here's, here's your homework assignment. I've got a homework assignment for you. This, this psalm, literally, literally, historically, we're taught people would sing as they walked to church on the Sabbath. This was a song they, they sang as they were ascending the hill of the Lord. It's one of those out of the Hebrew hymn book that they sung in, in preparation and anticipation for what was going to take place when they got into the house of God. So, so here's your homework. I, I want you to begin preparing right now for our worship service come Sunday morning. Meditate on this song. And the Bible says... Listen, everybody that's in attendance, I'm, 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 I'm grading your papers come Sunday morning. <laughs> the, the Bible says to enter his gates with singing. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You ought to come in the door Sunday morning shouting. Amen. Come in giving him some, some praise and, and giving him glory. Come in thanking him for what he has done rather than griping about what you ain't got. It's better preaching than I'm getting credit for. Father, thank you. God, if we would have never been confronted with these words, we have reason to worship. I am so mindful today that where I am as opposed to where I could, even should be, Lord, I could be laying in a hospital somewhere. I, I could be back in a, another prison cell. And Lord, I, I recognize, I, I, thoroughly, I thoroughly understand that if I got what I deserved... I'd be climbing the smutty walls of hell this evening. But you are good. Your mercy is everlasting. And your truth endures to all generations. And I pray that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be acceptable in your sight. Have your will and your way. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say it. Amen. Now real loud on three, I want you to give him a big hallelujah. One, two, three. Hallelujah. hallelujah. Oh, come on. That was weak. One more time. One, two, three. Hallelujah. There you go. That's when I'm here down the road shouts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stoke the 